Hi, everybody. Welcome to our weekly Parsha class, which um, this week will be a little bit different because there's no sources, I'm, I'm away. And, uh, and yet there's gonna be a lot of familiar material, okay? Hopefully understood, looked at in a new light. In order to help us um, think about our personal shift that has to take place for ourselves in light of this whole drama that has unfolded in the last couple of weeks with, um, as you know, the whole Walder story. Okay, so we're gonna start with just laying out what, what I hope to do today. Number one, to use this incident to illuminate a fundamental idea that we've learned many, many times and a fundamental idea that is drawn from the partials we're learning. I want to look at tefillah, I want to look at Torah to see how the Torah itself and the tefillah itself guides us in how to prioritize and how to think about our Judaism and how to teach our Judaism. And then we're going to do practical measures. So number one, here we have learned so many times and it's, it's real, it's, we, we have exhibit A. We have learned so many times that as Rav Moshe Shapir explains, that sheker, falsity, okay, has to become so outrageous, so big, so all-encompassing that when it implodes, everybody feels it, everybody knows it, and nobody can pretend they don't, and there's no unseeing it afterwards. Well, this is what happened in Egypt. The way it unfolded in Egypt was there was a dictator king. And he started out with kind of like doing what was, I guess, pretty common in that culture, which is survival of the fittest, enslaving a group that he was afraid of. And he got a lot of warnings. And he was told very clearly that he can't do it. But here's the message. He hardened his heart. And because he hardened his heart and refused to hear messages, then, you know, Rambam tells us, look it up in Laws of, Lushen, Laws of Hilchus Tshuva, uh, chapter five. When a person hardens their heart purposefully, then at a certain point, Hashem doesn't let them unharden it. Hashem hardens their heart, his heart for him, meaning he can't go back. He's stuck. He is stuck to his own eventual self-destruction. There's no escape. And the reason HaKadosh Baruch Hu does that and causes people that after multiple opportunities to change the way they're operating, to hear a different message, to appreciate the damage they're doing after multiple opportunities of rejecting every single possible uh, extended hand, okay, then they get, th then what happens is their Bechira is taken away and they are going to be used by God as exhibit A, okay, in how big Shekhar is and the reason, and, and, and the reason Akash Rocha hardened Pahara's heart, it says straight out in the Torah, because he wanted to, the Shekhar, the evil, to get so big that when it imploded, everybody would know about it. And through Paro and through the hardening of Paro's heart, he would be able to change the world. There would be a huge Ka'ula, right? Justice would prevail. And the, the principal message of Tselem Elohim of every human being would be the most powerful truth that would replace the, 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 um, the, the uh, corruption of exploitation of the innocence of, of as the devaluation of the Tselem Elohim. Well, I think what we're looking at here in our story is somebody whose heart was hardened. And you know what? When a person's heart is hardened, they have... They don't, get a, they don't get an opportunity to uh, complain about that, okay? When somebody's heart is hardened because they chose to harden it so many, many, many times, okay? Then they actually, through them, can be, can be an explosion. So dramatic, so big that what it does is it frees us. You see, there's nothing left to lose. Knowledge is power. This sort of thing liberates people. Suddenly the unseen can be seen and the, what can, was unspoken can be spoken. And just like HaKadosh Baruch Hu took us out of Mitzrayim on the 49th level, of, because you know, we were on the 49th level of Tumah. Yeah, you know what? Sometimes 
this type of situation blows open the story and says, okay, this, you know, there's no, there's nowhere else to go now. It's just up. It's just up. And in this case, I put a, I have a link here. I, we, we put it on the chat. I think we owe a Hakar Satov to the reporter who finally blew this whole thing. And um, even Chaim Walders, I don't want to mention his name, Yimach Shemo, was, um, was uh, his own lawyer, went ahead and issued a, a public apology for criticizing the, uh, the journalist. So somehow God finds a way to help us get out of using shalichim, to help us get out of a state of tumah that we must get out of before it's too late. And in that moment, and in that moment, there is light. There is light suddenly. Now it's very interesting. The when Paro hardened his heart, Hakadosh Baruch started sending makos. You know, he had an opportunity, but in the end, he didn't have an opportunity because that was his fate. That's what he chose as his fate. Now, the darkness of Choshech. We've all learned about it. I have a share that a couple of years ago we could link it. It was a blinding light that those that could that had refused to see things differently could no longer, they were paralyzed by the light. And following the paralyzing, blindingly clear light of truth, following the blindingly clear light of the essential truths of Torah, of the dignity of every human being, the the justice that must be meted out for those that violate that most basic principle, comes Makos Bechoros, and honestly, yeah, some of the elite, yeah, the people that everyone thought was the elite, they go down, and you know who you know who who replaces them? You know who replaces them? Simple people that know what Torah is and speak Yashar. That's it. That's who replaces them. Now um, let's let's look at how Zechariah refers to Mashiach because you know. There's Mashiach nationally, and there's something called personal self-redemption, okay? And when one person goes on the process of self-redemption for themselves, taking a, a good hard look at themselves, it has a tremendous overflow and a tremendous impact in everybody else. And uh, when we look at our community, honestly, the good or the enormous good and also the problems, it has a tremendous impact. So Charya 9.9, in speaking about Mashiach, says, you will rejoice you will really rejoice, daughters of Zion. And you will raise up your voices, you daughters of Jerusalem. Your king is coming. Now look what it talks about Mashiach. The Mepharshim say this talking about Mashiach. Tzadik v'nosha hu. Ani v'rochev al-chamor. Tzadik v'nosha hu. My grandfather brings this down in, in, um, the, in um, the prayer safer, Rav Shravan prayer, in regards to Estemach Davin. Tzadik v'noshahu, who is Mashiach, who is our own redeemer? A righteous person. Tzadik means yashor, does things right, honest, honest, consistent. V'noshahu, nosha means that person himself or herself will have been saved from the the from from what is going on through the unfolding clarity that comes with the coming of Mashiach, there'll be a change in the world. There'll be a clear need for change, and that person will be one of the people that finds their voice themselves, themselves be saved through what's going on the, themselves. They will have been perhaps potentially among the fallen, but they will be, they themselves will be uplifted. Tzaddik Venosha, who the Tzaddik himself, a righteous person himself has gone through it and wrote, risen above it and found their voice. It's not gonna drop down from heaven. So um, Zechariah tells us it's from the, among us and this person comes and that's all of us. Rochev al-Chamor is a poor person, a simple person, a simple person but they have controlled their riding on a donkey also means chomer. They have taken responsibility and control over the chomer, over the most base physical elements that could bring us down. You know, how do we do it? 
Let's get practical. How do we do it? How do we reorient ourselves and say, well, how should we educate our society, our kids? How should we, what should we prioritize? How do we teach Judaism? So let's, let's, let's do three things. Let's take a look at Torah. Let's take a look at how tefillah is organized. Let's look, at, let's look how Torah is organized. Let's look how tefillah is organized. Okay, let's start with those two things. Torah is organized like this, okay? For, for those who wanna know whether um, the Torah would, uh, you know, which, which path is the better path, so to speak. The path of creating a super idealized, rarefied environment of Kedusha Vitara, where children, and this is a beautiful thing, are not exposed to any of the garbage. And um, they don't know about the dark side of humanity. And they're protected from all of that which could theoretically be a beautiful thing, okay? But if that also means that they don't know the basic human reality of the human being, okay, the basic condition of the human being, then they're woefully unprepared to face life. And if their association of, and everyone has mentioned this, Judaism, okay? comes through a particular people. And if those people disappoint them, Judaism's over. The alternative is to be very well aware of the human condition and to be immunized by exposure a little bit to the possibilities of what's out there, to be taught about it so that a person can protect themselves from it and thereby choose a life of Kedush Torah. Let's look at the Torah. Let's see how the Torah decides, how our Kaddish Baruch decides to introduce to the world, his self-expression, his rutzon, his will. Here's how the Torah starts out, a simple reading, okay? A simple reading of the Torah that leaves us with a very clear, very clear answer to the question of how should Judaism be presented, okay? First thing the Torah does, it starts out, Perak Aleph, that every human being is at Selim, Elohim, and therefore has an unconditional dignity to them that must be preserved and respected by every single person. Period. Then the Torah tells us we have an ashama in Perak Beis. Every human being has a soul, and that part of God in every person is Hashem's own self-expression that says, I have value. I have something to add. Okay. Derech Eretz Kadma la Torah, before there was a single mitzvah of, of the, you know, beginning with Avraham, there's always the six mitzvahs before that. All right. Before Noah, before Abraham and Achai, there's always six mitzvahs. There was Derech Eretz Kadma la Torah. Way before the Jewish people, Besuel is, Lovin is criticized for speaking before his father, okay? Way before the Jewish people, Avram tells, uh, uh, tells uh, the king, Avimelech, you know, I don't trust you guys. You don't have your Shemayim here. I don't trust your, I expect you to have good character, but, and, not, and, and if you have no concept of God, there's no way you guys have good character. I'm, I, I don't trust you. There's no way I can trust you. There's an expectation of good character. The Gemara even learns out Kibbutz of the Aim from Dama Benesina Ananju. There's an expectation among every single human being on earth that Derech Eretz Kadmolator. Next, what happens? The next story after Selim Elokim and the Shama and the grandeur of mankind is the Eitzanas, the human condition. Beware. A person can easily slip into ignoring the truth of our identity as an extension of a Kaddish Baruch Hu and open their eyes, look around the world and say, whatever it seems like to me, whatever I want, whatever appeals to me, that's my truth, that's my right, that's my entitlement and I'll justify it. And you know what I want? I want pleasure now, I want self-preservation now and anyone who threatens me is my enemy. Torah puts it straight out, beware. That's what can happen when a person is determined to, is it tell them and can express themselves, the first, they might misuse it. They might sell, say, my self-expression is my right to basically indulge everything I want on my terms. That's my self-expression. Torah says right away, first thing, don't beware of the human condition. Next, you know what happens if you allow yourself to shift into that Eitzadas mentality? You'll kill the people that are closest to you. You'll see your own brother as an enemy against you. You will not try to grow. You will try to eliminate everyone who gets in the way. There'll be this confusing combination of narcissism and nihilism. That's what's going to happen. 
And then if that goes unchecked, guess what happens next? The marble, all of society dissolves. So then what happens next? Then the Torah tells us, but you know what? There's a path. There's a way to do it right. Let me introduce you to Avraham. This is the pattern of the Torah. Very clear, very not naive. <laughs> the Torah doesn't want us to be naive. Exactly what the condition is. And then we choose to avoid falling into these traps. And we have a path. Now we have the beginning of Judaism. Right? So number one, Torah itself is by the word of God. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu dictated to Moshe what to write in the Torah, Hashem could have started anywhere, done anything. This is God's mind speaking. This is Hashem's book that Hashem wrote. And this is chapter one and chapter two and chapter three and chapter four and chapter five. And you don't get to Avram till chapter 12. Okay? So if Hashem wrote a book, and said, this is the presentation. Why don't we just go with the book and just do what the book says and teach our children in, and this is where we need professionals and this is where we need educated people. How does one present to a child the great goal, the lofty goals that we aspire to, the, the telemilikim and ashama of every creature and also in a way that a child can absorb the, the, the alternative you know, and what to watch out for. And why that's where we need professionals, how in each culture and in each society to get these messages across in ways that are healthy and balanced, okay? That's number one. Now, let's look in tefillah. How about we do that? Everybody davens every day. Do we even see the order of tefillah? Are we familiar with the order of tefillah? First of all, just, I think everybody, is looking at the morning brachas with new eyes, because look what it says. Pokeach ivrim, you open our eyes. I mean, go even further, go even back. You don't make me a slave. I'm not a slave. I have a free will to think for myself. Then we talk just a few, some of these brachas, you open our eyes and then you clothe the naked. You know, the people that have been exposed, that have been, that don't have, that, are, that, that don't, don't have dignity to close themselves in. And then you free the bonds of those that are, are, are that um, are trapped. And then you let us stand up straight and you put the, the dry land upon the water. No, it's not shaky, it's solid, clear path. And you know, then you prepare our steps and you give us the tools we need to take those steps. I mean, it's in the morning brachas, but let's go to Shmona Esrei. This is so instructive, okay? The way Shmona Esrei is set up is the following. And there are essentially, there were essentially Three initial brachas, they, were, they are called the Avos. They refer to Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Hagadol, Hagibor, Hanora. Gadol is Avraham, Gibor is Yitzchak, Nora is Yaakov. Okay? And then there are three, and the first bracha is all about Avraham, the second is about Yitzchak, the third is about Yaakov. By the way, it's the third one about Yaakov that says Ata Kadosh, Veshimcha Kadosh. And Yaakov dealt with every criminal and every scoundrel and every sheker out there. And he's the one called Kadosh, not because he was naive, because he knew what to do, because he knew what was Kadosh and what was Tahar and what was Tami. And he knew how to make sure, as far as he could, to live a life of Kadusha and, uh, and protect himself. You know, he was very savvy, obviously, and he's called the Kadosh. Okay. And then after the three brachas comes six brachas. The first six are personal. And then there's another six, which one was added, are national, but they follow the exact same pattern. So let's look at the pattern. The first three personal brachas are for das, to think straight, to be clear, okay? To be able to actually analyze and call out truth for truth. Then comes tshuva and then comes, um, then comes slicha. Once we think straight, clearly we're gonna have to rethink some of the mis misjudgments we had, and then we're gonna ask for tshuva, okay? And then we say, see our misery, is suffering, and that's a very big word. Fight our battles and save us. Goel Yisrael, Goel Yisrael here means the personal geula of every single person who is in a state of inoy. In Mitzrayim, there were three states, Gerus, Avdus and Enoi. Being foreigners, that's one thing, being an outsider. Avdus being enslaved, but the third one is Enoi. Persecution meant suffering, emotional, mental suffering. 
This is the order of the davening for the personal prayers, okay? Then comes Rafur Shlema and having a good year economically. Now, there's a bracha that shifts from the personal request to the national request, okay? And that's the Shofar Gadolacherosenu, the one about kibbutz Goliath, bringing all of our exiles together. And then look at the next three. The first three in the personal was Das, Tshuva, and Slicha. Das, Tshuva, and Slicha. What are the first three in the national? Well, Hashiva Shoftenu Kavrishona, guidance, proper guide leaders, proper guide pe people to guide us, people to give us advice. And again, Vahaser Mimenu Yagon Vaanacha. Let's stop here for a second. Remove from us Yagon Vaanacha, sighing and distress and despair. This is the only bracha that speaks about the mental state of sighing and despair. And you know what this bracha is about? Melech ohev tzedaka umishpat. This is the idea. The lack of justice, the lack of truth, the lack of the right balance. Sadik means balance. When we have an Evan said that you put on your scale to make sure you're selling the person exactly one pound of potatoes, you take a, a Evan, a stone that's exactly one pound. It, it said that it's called an Evan Sedek. You know what it means? Balance, yasher, consistent, straight. This is the bracha that Hashem loves. We may never talk about Hashem's emotions, so to speak. Hashem loves Sedek Umishpat. This is what God loves. And when there's no Sedek Umishpat, there's misery, internal suffering. The, 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 the experience that causes the most anguish is lack of justice. When a victim goes to therapy for a hundred years, okay, but they never see justice being done. There's a limit to how much they can heal. And you know what's super, super duper healing? Justice is healing. Look at Mitzrayim. HaKadosh Baruch Hu let every single Jew see their perpetrator laying on the, on, on the banks of the, of the Yamsuf. Justice is healing, okay? There's no healing without justice. And what causes the most anguish, Yogon Va'anacha, is lack of justice. It's referred to in the first brachas as Inoy, okay? Anyenu, see our suffering. And in the second set of three, it starts with God, leaders who can establish Tzedek Mishpat because when human beings live in a state of yagon va'anacha, misery and internal distress because of the lack of justice, nothing can move forward. Look at the next bracha inserted here. First, get rid of the malshinim. Get rid of the people that speak bad about the Jewish people. Get rid of the people that make the Jewish people look bad. Neutralize them. Whether they come from outside or inside, neutralize them, okay? And um, they are called they hate our nation because they make our nation, they destroy our nation. They make our nation look terrible. Get rid of them. There's no mercy here, okay? And then after it really blasts those people that are damaging our nation, both externally and internally, and want and a bracha for eradication of them. Then the holy, the righteous ones, the ones that go beyond, the elders that are remaining, the, 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 the Jews that are still holding on, the righteous converts have Rahmanas on them. This is the pattern. And then, only then, you can talk about restoring Yerushalayim. You can talk about real Mashiach. You can talk about real Geula. How about another proof? Look at Kabbalah Shabbos, okay? Did anyone ever notice, and this was pointed out from my father-in-law, sometimes something's right in front of you and you never see it and he showed it to me and I'm like, oops, you know when you're like the, when the aha moment? Look at Kabbalah Shabbos. Did you ever notice that there are, of course you've noticed that there are Tehillim, right? There are Kapitlach of Tehillim before Lechadodi, correct? Let's look at how each one of these end, all right? The first one is Lachunaranana, okay? First one is Lachunaranana. He talks about, he said, like, this is Arab Shabbos. This is Arab, this is going into Shabbos Menucha. What does he say? 
Al takshu levavchem kamariva kayomasa bamidbar asher nesuni avasechem b'chanuni gamro palai. He says, don't be like the, the don't don't be the ones that harden their heart in the desert. Forty years, okay. They uh, forty years they stayed in the desert because they didn't um, they didn't they uh, they their hearts you know they didn't have what was necessary to go in. And I said, Im you are not going to come to my menucha. You're not coming to my land. So the first thing is Hashem is saying, no, you don't come into the menucha when there's, when there's, uh, when there's uh, the mindset is still so distorted. Let's go further. Okay. Shira Hashem Shir Chadash. Look at the last Pasuk. Okay. Az Yiranenu Atse Ya'ar. Then all of the forests will begin to exalt. Lifnei Hashem, before God. Why? Kiba, Kiba Lishpot Ha'aretz, because he's coming to establish Mishpat justice. Yishpot Hevel Betzedek. He will judge society with righteousness, with balance. Okay, let's look at the next one. Hashem Malach Tagel Ha'aretz. Okay, what happens next? Ohave Hashem Sinura. Those that love Hashem, they hate evil. Okay. Shomer Nafshos Chasidav, he watches the souls of his Chasidim, those who go beyond. Miyad Rashaim Yatsim saves them from Rashaim. And it talks about Orzaruel at Tzadik. Okay. Um, but if you look earlier in this, one second. One second, right here. Earlier in this, if you look through all of them, by the way, I'm just reading the ends, they all focus on the reversal of corruption to justice. Here. Um, look at the look at this one that we're just doing. Let's go a little bit earlier. Hashem Malach Tagel Haaretz, Yismachu Iyam Ravim, Ananvar Rafael Sliva, Tzedek Umach Omishpat Machon Kiso. Righteousness in justice is what his throne is established on. That's the beginning of this one. Okay, let's go to the next one. Mizmar Shir La Hashem Shir Chadash. Okay. Hodiel Hashem Hashem Yeshuaso Leene Hagayim Gila Tzidkaso. Okay, that everyone will see Hakadosh Baruch Hu's Tzedek. Okay. Everybody will see the Yeshua. Everybody will exalt. Okay. Look at the last pasuk. The rivers will clap their hands. Together the hills will rejoice. He's coming to judge. He will judge you, society, the world, with tzedek. What's the next one? Look at Hashem Malach. Vaoz Melech Mishpat Ahev. The power of the king is the one that loves justice. Mishpat utzedaka biyako. Mishpat and tzedaka, you will do. Okay. Every single capital before lechadodi, all right, leads up to with one clear and obvious message. There cannot be a restoration of tzion, which is lechadodi. This is the whole lechadodi, by the way, is referring to the restoration of Yerushalayim. If you look at it, and read it properly, it's referring to the Geula. It's referring to the restoration of Yerushalayim. It's referring to the city taking off its garments of mourning and putting on its garments of, of royalty. There can be no restoration of Yerushalayim without justice. Tzion b'mishpat tipada. This is in Atfila. This is in Ashwana Esrei. All right. So um, when we see injustice and we see how and we start analyzing how it was allowed to to expand and we realize there's a combination of a person who god is is allowing that person to be the one to, by their own choices to explode and change things all right um uh, then we we realize that number one we have power Nobody can say, just like we learned about the Egyptians, I couldn't do anything, all right? I couldn't do anything. It was a societal problem, right? I had no connection to it. Okay, so let's see how we can play our part in establishing tzedek um mishpat in our little circles. And of course that overflows and has a ripple effect to our bigger circles. 
how can we make sure that we live in a real society of Kedusha by teaching what is teaching about justice, teaching about tzidkus, righteousness, preparing ourselves to, to um, face challenges without losing all of our Judaism. This is the big thing. How do we set up a society that when there is a crime, when there is corruption, we root it out and it doesn't destroy our entire yadus. It doesn't utterly, utterly implode our reputation among the nations. You know, in the end, we're Arlegayim. So we need to be a society that doesn't deny that there's a human condition and there's corruption and there's, de and there's depravity. Of course we know that. That's the Torah tells us that right away. But that we're a society that knows how to set up laws and checks and balances and structure so that we root it out and thereby protect everybody from Tumma and of course be very, and, uh, and thereby uh, ensure that we can actually live a life that is, um, that is honest and wholesome. So what can we all do personally? Well, everybody has their own arena. Number one, for myself, I'm just talking to myself, honesty. Somebody, if I, and I have to think about it, did I, did I devalue somebody? If I did, apology, tshuva. That's not how I should behave. I'm sorry for devalue, devaluing whoever, you know, in any, in any way, big or small, and even the small ways. Honesty, I made a mistake. I apologize, I'm not gonna do it again. Then our heart never gets hardened, right? But when things are allowed to become norms, then yeah, then our hearts get hardened and we let these norms exist. And then it's very hard to break them until they explode by themselves. So I'm gonna tell you something personally, You're, you are people who've been learning with me for a very long time, many of you. And I'm gonna tell you something that I decided to take upon myself right now, all right? Because you've heard all the leaders that have come out beautifully, Rabbi Berkowitz and Rabbi, um, all of them, and Rabbi um, um, Lopiansky and Rabbi Tarragon and Rabbi, what was his name in Passaic? There's so many good ones that have come out. And you know what they all say? And Jonathan Rosenblum, you know what they all say? No girl should be, you should see a male therapist, the male, anything. There's enough women out there to play all the roles, teachers, mentors, doctors, therapists, counselors, everything. We don't need girls to see men. Well, that's true. But in order for that to be taken seriously, guess what? Women and their accomplishments have to become front and center in our Jewish consciousness. And what that means is that women have to be seen as accomplished, leaders, professionals who can do jobs correctly. And what that means is in the religious press, women have to be seen for more than just being female. There is no excuse. And I've read many articles with all the so-called psakalachas. There is no excuse in today's day and age not to show the face of a woman in a paper. Women's faces are not unsneous, period. And you maybe you wanna talk about the body, but there is no way to argue that a woman's face is on sneeze by being seen. And if that would be the case, then all religious women would have to wear burqas and could never go on the street. But you know what the halakha really is? The halakha is, halakha is something called histaklus. Histaklus, which essentially means gazing. Now, if there's a woman's face in, in, an, in an article and it talks about her professional accomplishments so that women know that there are an army of, 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 of seriously professional women who can help and they never have to go to a man, okay? If any man decides that they wanna do histoclus, which means gazing sexually, obsessing about it, that's not the problem of the face of the woman in the paper, no way. And if it would be a halacha that a man's not even allowed to glance for a half a second at a female, then no man could walk out of the house, period. The Lubavitcher Rebbe wrote a simple, simple, when somebody asked him about putting the face of his own wife who had died in the paper. And the man gave three reasons why it's not um, perhaps acceptable. And the Lubavitcher Rebbe destroyed all three. The Lubavitcher Rebbe had his finger on the generation. He was doing Kirov. Kalva Homer today, I know personally that there are 
literally an entire world of, 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 of sophisticated Jewish women who will not, who will dismiss religious Orthodox life because of the fact that the publications won't even show a face. They'll say, this doesn't speak to me. This is, what, what generation is this from? There are women in every single career, every single solitary profession, women speaking to men all the time in real life. I teach in a Hasidish seminary. The principal is a Hasidish woman, pure as pure can be. And she talks to all her men teachers publicly in a public forum. She gives addresses. Listen, it's a, it's a culture today that women are <laughs> everywhere, okay? The, there is a responsibility of a man not to gaze, okay? And if, if somebody glances, all right, and that becomes a problem for them, which is very, very, very unusual, I would say, that's their issue that they need to deal with. But it is highly disempowering. It is, in my opinion and many people's opinions, a contribution to the problem where women are invisible, they are hypersexualized, meaning if I can't look at you because you're female, it doesn't matter if you are the president of the United States, it doesn't matter if you're a tzaddikis who runs a huge organization with 40,000 people who are directly engaged in, 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 be, in, in learning chilonim and charedim together, chavrusas, kirav rechokim, changing the face of Israel. To me, you're just a female, goodbye. That is the that is the a violation of the tzelmokim of a human being. It is a violation of the fact that a woman is is uh, meant to be respected. It is way off base and very destructive. I am officially throwing in my in my weight with the um, with the effort to really stand against this policy. I don't want to talk about the whole body. I'm talking about faces. Let's start with faces. It's not, faces are not a slippery slope. No one will buy it. No one will buy it. It's baloney. It's not a slippery slope. A face is not a slippery slope. And if the, again, if the man wants to have an, doesn't have anywhere else to see a woman's face in the whole world out there today that we live in, can, doesn't have any other place to gaze at a woman. He's got to go to from publication and look at its sneeze face. I don't know. Okay, that's a little bit. <laughs> that's not a, a thing we got to worry about. Okay, so um, I feel that this is important, you know. And I want to tell you something else. I went to the bookstore recently. If a literally a not religious person walked into our bookstores book and saw all the pictures of like children's books that have no women, they would either think, "A, we believe in same-sex marriage," because I've seen books where there's two tatis and six little boys, and they're having a Shabbos table. So we all believe in same-sex marriage. Is that what it is? Or Maybe we, or maybe we believe in single parenthood because there's only daddies. It's like it, it, the, the, the images, the message is so ridiculously destructive. It's time to say Adkan. And, um, and, um, and there is no question that if women saw role models who were respected, who were taken seriously, it would go a huge way to, it, to give people a sense of themselves and their opportunities, and that they're more than just an a, a, a invisible female who is by definition, because they're female, temptation, very, you're a female, you're temptation, goodbye, okay? It would go a very long way in fixing this distorted image. And if the Lubavitcher Rebbe poskened that it's okay, and he had his finger on Kirov, Kal V'chomer today, Kal V'chomer today, how important it is to be aware that there's a huge world out there of people searching. They want direction, they want structure, they want a way of life that is empowering, dignifying, and true. But before we even start, we've already eliminated the possibility that they even consider entering into our circles because this is not a world that they have any, any connection to or had speaks to them in any way. So that is something I, for myself, because you know, to the degree that I am a female teacher, whatever, um, that's the position I'm taking. And I'm just saying faces, come on, put the faces back in. I don't want to talk about the rest of the bodies. Don't give me that a face is a slippery slope, okay? And, um, and on top of that, and one more thing, you know, when every time we, we do something, we do a cost benefit analysis. 
Maybe there's a cost, maybe there's a tiny cost, but what's the benefit? Every society has to be taken into account of what's going on in that society today. Even this idea that women, you know, this whole new call, only see female therapists, only see female doctors, only see female. Of course, I believe in that, of course. But, you know, even the concept of therapy, 30, 40 years ago, we didn't have every single person going to therapy. We didn't have 35,000 rehabs in this country, okay? It's a new situation. New situation requires new approaches, new realities, halacha being fit in and to, to understand the problems today and then halacha honestly, properly addressing the problems of today. What might've worked a hundred years ago in a very, very different society is not necessarily the same. Rav Hirsch came and he looked at the situation in Germany and he took Torah and he presented it in a way that people in Germany and the reform movement can listen to. It, you know, you got to adjust to the generation. Every, my cousin Beryl Gershenfeld always mentions this, that in the Mishkan, in the, um, in the, in the times of the Mishkan, they would, every, every generation, they always kept the same Kalim in the Mishkan. But every generation, you know what they did? They buried the trumpets that, that they used to use to call everyone and they built new trumpets. And it's a very simple message. Every generation, Torah has to call out to us in a way that fits that generation, all right? Nothing's ever perfect. But to summarize everything we said, and then I'll take your conversation. The Torah starts out being eliminating any possible naivete about the human condition. Why can't we do the same thing? Properly, sensitively, age appropriately, but let's do it. Okay, number two, tefillah tells us straight out, no justice, no peace, I hate to say it. It's straight out in the Shemun, in the Shemun Esri, it's straight out in Kabbalah Shabbos. The most healing thing of all is justice. When somebody who has, who has hurt people directly by not just sexually abusing them, by devaluing them, by dismissing them. I know, we all know personally that the proportion of kids kicked out of yeshivas be, that come from broken homes is huge. Yeah, so if somebody comes from a very difficult situation and uh, you know, they're, they're more, they take more effort to deal with and they have more problems. So you know what that means? It means get more help, get a trained therapist in the school, pay them a good salary, and then help those kids. Okay? Um, so, so anybody who has directly harmed students who, I know people who till this day hold deep grudges about some of their educators who made them feel like nothing, garbage, not sexual abuse, just devaluing them, dismissing them, judging them harshly for nothing under the excuse of keeping their school, the Kedusha Vatara. I'll tell you a true story that happened to my sister. And I'll tell you what, my sister took my daughter, my, my mother took my daughter out of this, out of the school when this happened. She went to Beis Yaakov in Muncie. And my sister is like the paradigm of Beis Yaakov girl. Like you could put her on a poster, say this was what a Beis Yaakov girl looks like. And one day she came to school in a hoodie, you know, like a sweatshirt. And they called her and they said, why are you wearing that? She said, because it's cool. Meaning it's cool outside, okay? Innocent girl. And they said, oh, that's the problem. You're always trying to be cool. That's the bad influence. So my mother called the school and said, you're rotschim, you're murderers. I'm taking my kid out of your school. Okay. So, um, so those type of people, there are perpetrators like that. They need uh, to openly apologize. Okay. Because justice is healing. And it's time. there's nothing left to lose. Because I fear, I deeply fear that because of this whole disaster, okay, which Baruch Hashem has the ability because the implosion is so big to really wake us up, shake off, there's nothing left to lose and really do the right thing, okay? But also has the ability to utterly, like just cut the cord for so many people and they say, I'm out. I am just out of this whole thing. I want no part of it. Thousands of people, I, I'm afraid to go off the derrick. Really, that's how I, that's why I spoke, you know, what I, my introduction for last week's pressure share. In any case, I know what I gotta do. I know that I wanna be more honest. I wanna say sorry when I hurt somebody so I don't get my heart hardened with justifications. I want to do whatever I can to make it clear that um, women have a lot to be proud of, a lot to feel strong about, that our telemokim is the essence of our identity, not our feminine, our feminine gender, okay? And, um, and I, want to, I want to 
figure out, and this is what we're doing with the curriculum. This is what the curriculum that we're working on, how to present these simple modules as a as a as a as a as a chinuch curriculum. Number one, tell them neshama, what a human being is, everything we always talk about. Number two, what is sin? What is sin? What does it look like? How does it happen? Number three, what happens when sin goes unchecked? And number four, who are we? Who is Amisho? How do we live? How do we opt out? How do we pick Kadusha Vatara? Who are our leaders? What are their messages? What is Chesed and Gavura and, and, and MS? Who, you know, what is Kabbalah Satora? Until we know what we're opting out of, we don't know what we're opting into. We have to know what we're opting out of. We have to know what it looks like so we can opt in. And if we sacrifice a little bit of innocence and purity and dreamy idealism, it's well, 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 well worth it because Kedusha is not measured by how much we can create a, a perfect little fantasy for 10-year-olds. That's not Kedusha. Kedusha is how much we can ensure that adults facing Tumah and temptation every single day pick Kedusha and they have the tools to. That's called Kedusha. That's what we have to work for. And I want to end with one idea. In Devarim, it's Perek Chav Pasuk Yud. It says, Es Hashem Elokecha Tira. You should have Yiras Hashem. The question is, how does one fulfill that mitzvah? It's a mitzvah's Ase Doraisa. A mitzvah's Ase Doraisa. How do you fulfill it? Have Yira of Hashem. So Rabbeinu Yonah says, based on a Gemara, that if a person has an opportunity, is tempted to sin, and they really want to, and in here where nobody sees, they go through that battle, and then they find the strength, and they say no to themselves, and they persevere, and they don't sin no matter how tempted they are, they have just fulfilled a mitzvah's ase doraisa of es Hashem elokecha tira. It's one of the only mitzvah's ase that you do in your head, in your thoughts, because normally a mitzvah's ase takes an action. This is the only mitzvah's ase, one of the only, that you fulfill in your thoughts. So it's not an indication of tumma if a person struggles with wanting to do something wrong. That's not tumma. That's part of the mitzvah's ase of encountering it facing it, struggling against it, and being strong. It's a mitzvah's ase do raisa to go through this process of facing it and, and confronting it and, over, and, and, and coming out, attach, you know, committing to truth and committing to what's MS and right. So we don't believe that holiness is that you never think the thoughts. Where would we ever get that from? Another proof. Rambam and Hilchus Tshuva says, Ezehu Tshuva Gemura. What's a real Tshuva? says, here's a man who had an affair with a woman, Bal Isa Baver, Bal Al Isha Baver. He went and he had intimate, it was, it was intimate with a woman that was forbidden, okay? What's a Bal Tshuva Gemur? So it says, then he finds himself, now watch what our Ramam says, same town, same woman, like the whole scenario is repeating itself, Va'omed Ba'avaso Osa, and he still loves her the same, but he doesn't sin, that's a Bal Tshuva Gemur. Rambam doesn't say he can't, doesn't love her anymore, He's disgusted by her. He doesn't want to do this sin anymore. That's about Shiva Gomorrah. No way. Ramam says, same place, some, same town, same temptation, same love, same everything. But this time he says, no, that's about Shiva Gomorrah. So we don't believe that there are people, I mean, we're not Christians. We don't believe in immaculate conception and everything perfect. We believe in, as Rav Huttner wrote in the letter that I put on the chat, that great people are people that were honest, they struggle with their demons, they struggle with the human condition, they struggle with their temptations, just like the Eitzadas teaches us, then they overcame it, and that's why they became great, all right? So enough of this fake that there's perfection and, 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 and people that are un, unconditionally trusted, come on. We're talking about human beings who, try, who face down all of the darkest sides of themselves and pick strength and pick truth most of the time, okay? Sometimes they fall, but sometimes they pick truth. Most of the time they pick truth, I'd rather, I'd, I'd like to say, that's Kedusha, that's righteousness. That's a nation everybody can learn from. That's a nation that's an Arlegoyim. We know it, we got it, we know what's out there, okay? And we also know how to confront it. We know how to be strong. So what I, I, I um, our hope and wish and commitment is honesty, 
inner struggle, fulfilling the mitzvah, choosing to attach ourselves to a life of Torah mitzvahs because we see in the alternative, being terrified of the hardening of the heart, and really restoring, as we will, it always happens, we always do, the glory of the Amistro, because the right leaders will arrive, those poor people riding on the donkeys, you know, the real people, the people that know what they're talking about, the people that also were saved, the people that went through the, the mud and saved themselves, and now they can speak, okay? I really do believe it's the moment for the victims. Someone among them will rise up and speak and make and, 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 and lead us all in change because they know what they're talking about. You know, I have, we, I, I have a disadvantage. I really, I can't pretend that I fully understand. How could anyone who didn't go through it? How could anyone? Of course I can't understand. How can I lead? Of course I can't lead. How can anybody lead who deeply, deeply doesn't understand, resonate in, in you know, be part of it? So you know what? We have amazing people that are willing to do whatever they can, but we also need from all those victims, we also need them. We need their leadership. We need their vision. It doesn't have to be like BLM, destroy everything in its wake that gets nowhere. But you know, there was also Gandhi, also models of people that stood up and had protest movements because their vision was improvement, not destruction. They believed in Judaism, not in a particular culture or society or community. And they found their voice, Sadik Vinoshahu, and they stood up and they led. And we all, you know, are, there's so many resources that we could put at their disposal, you know, and we're all, we're all willing to. And so uh, I wish all of us a, a Rafua Shalema for Rafua's Hanefesh, Rafua's Hanefesh, sickness of the spirit. We need a Rafua Shalema. For all the people that suffered, whatever degree, men and women. And a good cry always makes us feel better. The Amishol is crying. Anybody normal is crying. And after a good cry, your eyes can see clearly again and you can find a path. And so let the leaders arise. And we are behind you. We want a Judaism that's an Orlegoyim. We want a Judaism that gives us tools to, to identify, root out corruption and have a healthy lifestyle for the, the, the entirety of the nation and a model for the world. We want a Judaism that reflects the Torah, okay? And, um, and we want to restore the good, good, the, good, the good name of God in this world. We want to restore the good name of the Torah in this world, you know? We don't want to be judged by the bad apples. We don't. We reject them as much as everybody else. So um, wishing you all a beautiful Shabbos. And now I'm going to end the recording, but I'm going to stay on the Zoom meeting and go to the chats, okay?